with you in Jesus' name. Amen. So my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, are you in the Christmas spirit yet? Have our Christmas hymns and readings got you ready to go home and put up your tree and hang up your Christmas lights? Yeah, maybe, maybe not quite there yet, and that's okay. I wouldn't want your neighbors to start looking at you kind of weird. But despite the fact that we're in the middle of summer and uh, the 4th of July, nonetheless, our Christmas hymns and, and readings are certainly quite appropriate for today because, of course, they go hand in hand with that part of the creed that we've come to today, this morning, as we go through, part of our, or go through this part of our series, Walking Through the Apostles' Creed. This morning, we're on that part of the creed, as I said, where we confess our faith that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. That part of the creed that provides us concise clarity of the truths of Scripture, the truths that we just read earlier in Luke's uh, Gospel, the first chapter. And just as the birth of our nation is worth celebrating today, even more so the birth of Christ Jesus is worth celebrating, isn't it? It is worth celebrating not only in December, not only in the middle of the summer, but every Sunday of the year, in fact, every day of the year. It is worth celebrating because it's that Christmas message that says to us, in this person of Jesus, this baby that was born a couple thousand years ago, this real person, Jesus, who was born, and tells us that in God we have, or in Jesus, we have a God who comes to our rescue. In this person of Jesus, we have a God who does the impossible. And not just to show off, but to save us. We have a God who comes to our rescue, a God who does the impossible. This past week, my wife and I watched a movie on Netflix called Ice Road. I don't know if you've seen that movie. It's, a, it's about a, uh, a group of truckers who go on a, uh, a mission, drive some equipment down a long ice road in Canada in order to bring some equipment to come to the rescue of some miners who got trapped in a cave-in. Now, in the movie, I believe that the miners still had some light from the flashlights that were on their, on their helmets. But can you imagine if they didn't? Can you imagine being in total darkness? Maybe you've been to like Carlsbad Caverns or one of those places where you go down and they turn the lights off and you can't see the hand in front of your face. Imagine being in that kind of darkness and, and your only hope for getting some light or only hope for being rescued or your only hope was that somebody from outside would come to your rescue. That's kind of the way Isaiah saw things in that first reading that we had. Isaiah, that's the way he saw it when he talked about a people living in darkness. There's no doubt that we really are a people living in darkness. We really are a people living in a world from which we need to be rescued. A world that seems like it has caved in on us. That's not the way God created it to be. Right? But when sin came into the world, it is as if the whole world caved in on itself and there we were trapped 
in the, in the dust and in the darkness of that cave-in. I don't need to tell you about it, though, really, do I? You live it. We all experience the darkness and brokenness of this world. We see it all around us. And unfortunately, we even see it in our own hearts. But you know what? You don't even really need to be a Christian to know that this is a, a broken world, right? Just think about all of the narratives of the world that you hear on a you know, week in and week out. Well, the narratives of the, that, that clearly say, hey, there's problems in the world and we need to address them. There are the environmental narratives that say, hey, you know, we are not doing a good job of taking care of our natural environment and we need to do a better job of, of taking care of the world around us and, and that'll make a better place for us. There are the social narratives that are striving to, to, to say that hey, we all just learn to get along together, this world will be a better place. There are the, the political narratives that look for uh, the right platform of government and, and laws and regulations to, to make the world a better place for us. There's the economic narratives that address the, the unemployment and poverty of the world and say if we can just find better opportunities for wealth and material things of this world, our world will be a better place. And, and if you still need more proof other than that, those large global narratives that are clearly saying we recognize there are problems that need to be fixed. If you still need more proof, just go to your local bookstore and I bet you'll find that one of the largest sections of books there are those that we would call self-help, right? And what is that but a bunch of people telling other people, you've got problems and you need to fix it, right? There are a lot of people in the world with problems that need to get fixed. I mean, you know, whether it's financial management, whether it's your personal health, whether it's you know, your emotional health and stability, whether it's this nebulous spiritual whole person category, you know, whatever category it is, well, the fact that those books are so popular clearly says that we recognize we've got problems and we've got to find a way to fix them. Right? The point is we clearly live, are, are, are people living in darkness. We are clearly a people living in a broken world. It does seem like it has caved in on itself and we've got to fix things. Now, don't get me wrong, all those uh, narratives, all those worldly narratives, all those self-help books, they can be of some use. They, they might, they, and they might, I stress, might help us to one degree or another. But you've got to understand that those narratives and self-help books are only dealing with symptoms of something much deeper. And you and I know what the underlying root cause of the darkness of this world is. The underlying root cause of our broken world is what the Bible simply calls sin. Sin is, in essence, a rebellion against God. In its very nature, sin is a rebellion against God's will. It is, it, it is me saying to you, I care more about my interests than yours. It is me saying to God, I'm going to love and exalt myself more than I'm going to love and exalt you. And no environmental, nor social, or political, or economic narrative 
can do anything about that underlying root cause of sin that is in each and every one of us. And no self-help book can, can take care of that either. Only God can deal with that root cause of sin in our heart. And it's because of that that despite the fact that we live in this darkness, in this broken world, we aren't hopeless. It is not a hopeless situation. When Isaiah prophesied about the people living in darkness, the real point of his prophecy was that, hey, a light is going to dawn in that darkness. And people of God, you know that light has come, right? We have seen the light. God has come to our rescue. When God sent the angel Gabriel to Mary with his birth announcement, this announcement to her that, of what was going to happen, that she was going to be pregnant, it was really God's announcement to the world to say, I'm coming to your rescue, right? I'm coming to your rescue. The essence of Gabriel's message was right there in verse 31. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Now it is extremely significant that Gabriel told Mary, and Joseph was also told this, that Gabriel told them what the baby's name was going to be. Instead of letting them go and browse the web to see what the most popular Jewish names of the day were, he told them, your baby's going to be named Jesus. And that's important because the world needs to know why he's being born, why he's come into the world. He's come to save. Now, Gabriel didn't explain Jesus's, the meaning of Jesus' name to Mary, but the angel who appeared to Joseph, uh, that's in Matthew chapter 1, he explained it. He said, he'll be named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Because, you know, for us guys, things got to be spelled out. But Mary knew what the name meant. She knew the name Jesus means God saves. This baby that you're pregnant with, Mary, is going to save the world. He's going to be the Savior. This is God coming to your rescue. Jesus' conception was that light dawning in the darkness. Like that movie I watched uh, called Ice Road, those truckers were willing to drive that equipment, I don't know, hundreds of miles over this ice road that was, you know, it was in April, according to the studies, you know, ready to thaw out. It was dangerous. They were ready to undertake that dangerous, long, treacherous road because that was what was needed to come to the rescue of those miners to save their lives. And in the same way, Jesus' conception of birth shows us that God was ready to go that extra mile to rescue us and save us. It shows us that God was ready to break into time and space and take on human flesh because that's what was necessary to do to save us. God was willing to come into the muck and the mire and the darkness and the filth of our, of our sin-filled world in order to come to our rescue 
That's why we celebrate the Christmas message like we do, because it says to us that God has come to our rescue. He hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't left us for dead, saying, you're a hopeless situation. He hasn't said, well, you got yourself into this mess, you get yourself out. (laughs) No, he is willing to step in into our world and do what's necessary to rescue us from the darkness of this world. Now, not only does Jesus' conception and birth show us and prove to us that God comes to our rescue in the person of Jesus, Jesus' birth and conception also shows us that God is willing to do what's impossible and that he does do the impossible. Once again, thinking about that movie that that Jana and and I watched, uh, Ice Road, those uh, truckers were willing to drive that dangerous mission, but I wouldn't say it was impossible. I don't think the story was based on a, uh, the movie was based on a true story, but it could have been, I suppose. Everything was somewhat plausible other than the natural Hollywood embellishments that they make. But though it was dangerous, I wouldn't say what we saw there was impossible. But God's rescue mission for us involves the impossible. It involves Jesus being, not just being conceived, but being conceived by the Holy Spirit. It involves Jesus not just being born of Mary, but being born of the Virgin Mary. Wouldn't you have liked to be a fly on that wall when Gabriel showed up at Mary's house that day? Couldn't you just see Mary's face? Couldn't you just see her jaw dropping? That's why she asked. When when Gabriel says she's pregnant, that's why she asked the very natural question, well, how in the world can that be, right? Since I am a virgin. I mean, clearly Mary understood that Gabriel wasn't saying, hey, someday in the future, you and Joseph are going to consummate your marriage and you're going to get pregnant and have a child. No, no, Mary understood that the angel meant now you're going to be pregnant. And Mary also knew enough to understand that that just ain't right. That's just not how things work. She knew her state of virginity and knew that this was impossible. Well, at least in worldly respect. And so Gabriel tries to explain to her Mary says, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. You know, admittedly, that explanation of... uh, Gabriel there at the beginning is somewhat shrouded in its mysterious language. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the Most High will overshadow you. But how else do you explain a virgin conception, a virgin birth? The bottom line was that Gabriel is saying, hey, this is going to happen by the miraculous power of God. But it's as if Gabriel then went on to say, hey, it's a miraculous thing here, but it ain't nothing for God. Right? Points to Elizabeth's 
pregnancy with John the Baptist and Elizabeth and Zechariah being far beyond childbearing years, but yet she's pregnant. And then he concludes it by reminding her, reminding Mary, nothing's impossible with God, right? Now, there are two very important things I want you to note about this virgin birth thing and God doing the impossible. First of all, Jesus is God. As simple as that statement sounds, that is everything in this story. That Jesus is God. Gabriel makes that clear. He says, because Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit, quote, he will be called the Son of God. When you and I stand up every Sunday and confess the Apostles' Creed, when we confess, I believe in Jesus who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, we're telling each other, we're telling the world out there, we believe Jesus is not just some ordinary human being, not just some great teacher and prophet who lived a while ago. We believe he's God. He is the almighty God in the flesh. And that's everything. This people of God is the heart and core of our faith. And without it, Christianity crumbles and we might as well all just go home today. If Jesus wasn't conceived by the Holy Spirit, in other words, if he wasn't true God, everything else that follows in the creed is worth nothing, means nothing. If he wasn't true God, then his birth, his life, his suffering, his death, all means diddly squat to us. Then there certainly wouldn't be a a resurrection from the dead. There certainly wouldn't be an ascension. There certainly would not be Jesus living at the right hand of God and ruling there. There certainly wouldn't be Jesus coming back to judge the, the living and the dead. There would be nothing if Jesus wasn't conceived by the Holy Spirit. But it's only because he is true God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, that you and I can rest assured that he really is our Lord and Savior. It's only because he's true God that you and I can rest assured that he was sinless in every way, perfectly kept God's law in our place. It's only because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit that you and I can rest assured that his death on the cross was a sufficient sacrifice to God as the perfect Lamb of God. People of God, this is where the creed gives us that symmetry that Pastor has talked about, that we get from the creed, that symmetry for our our life and faith. This is what uh, is building us up from the very foundation This isn't, this talk about the virgin birth and Jesus being God isn't just some, oh, I don't know, religious, superficial, fluff talk that sounds moral and and spiritual. This is meat. This is the, the meaty matter of our faith, right? This is where we get our core strength of our faith. To to keep a strong and persevering faith that will take us through the trials of life, so that we can be confident that God will take us on into glory because we know that Jesus is God. Now that's just the first thing to note from uh, the fact of this virgin birth and that God does the impossible. The second is so closely related and in fact follows from it and that is that that's what gives us our certainty of our salvation. No one, I don't think, really likes to be uncertain about anything. You don't want to be uncertain about your health. You don't want to be uncertain about the stock market. And... 
how much worse it would it be to be uncertain about your eternity. How awful it would be to lie on your deathbed, taking your last breath, and be uncertain of whether you're going to heaven or hell. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to be uncertain. What did Luke say when he wrote his gospel? We, we included the very beginning of his gospel because it says there why Luke wrote his, his book. He said he carefully researched everything and then wrote it down. Why? So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And when Gabriel then tells Mary that this virgin conception business is a done deal because God can do the impossible, the larger lesson for us is that our salvation is a done deal because we have a God who does the impossible. It is impossible for us to save ourselves. It is impossible for us to, to earn God's favor, to do enough righteous acts that would compensate for our sin. It is impossible for us to bring light into our darkness and rescue ourselves from our sin. But with God, all things are possible including your salvation. God is the one who is in charge of your salvation. God is the one who is in charge of your rescue mission. And because we have a God who does the impossible, you can absolutely be certain of your salvation. So I hope you have enjoyed our Christmas hymns and readings this morning, our little mini Christmas celebration. Don't worry about going home and putting up your tree and, and, and lights just yet. You can wait a few months for that. What, next month is the time to start doing that? No, but the, yeah, we'll leave the, the real Christmas celebration for December. But the message of Christmas, this message that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. That message is worth celebrating not only in December, not only on July 4th, but each and every day of the year. Because that's the message that says, we have joy, we have hope, even while we live in the darkness of this world and its brokenness. It's the message that says, in Jesus who was conceived and born of the Virgin Mary, we have a God who has come to our rescue. We have a God who does the impossible so that we can rest assured of our salvation. And for that good news, all God's people say, Amen. Amen.